Hey everyone, welcome to a special mini-episode of the Film Coterie. This is the week of the Nightmares Film Festival in Columbus, Ohio, and I'm taking some time out of the fest to interview various directors, and in this episode you're going to hear from James Quinn, whose newest film, Flesh of the Void, is about to make its world premiere. I do apologize for some of the noises during this track. I took James some beer, we are drinking it, so you might hear us picking up and putting down the bottles. Just a hazard, part of a live interview. But anyway, I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here's James Quinn. All right, so I saw Sodom last year. Loved it. Um, what was the process for you from going from that to Flesh of the Void? Did you make any changes to the way you work? Or? Uh, yeah, I definitely, I actually, it, it was a completely different process. Um, the thing is, the law of Sodom was a very... It was a very, it was still very experimental and very um, unusual in terms of how I pulled it off. I mean, it's not really, I, st I don't really see it as, that much, much as, a, as a normal film. So, I mean, a lot, of the, a lot of the film is actually just black screen with, with, with monologue. Mm -hmm. And I still sort of tried to make The Law of Sodom into a film that can still be enjoyed, even though it's disturbing as hell. And even though it's super uncomfortable, and I completely abandoned that with Flash of the Void. I basically just I wanted to make something that does not give a single bit of a shit about uh, what the audience is going to feel. And I really, basically, the concept that I had in mind was I wanted to make um, I wanted to make a film that is just that just goes as far as you can go, um, but um, while staying at the subject. Um, and the thing is, I, there's, there's, this, there's this thing in modern extreme cinema uh, where the films are super extreme, but there's still like one or two things that they did not want to show. Like a Serbian film still does not show pornographic scenes. It's a rough one. Um, <laughs> it's hard to watch a Serbian film. Yeah, it's a, it's, I mean, it's probably one of the most extreme films ever made, but there's still stuff they did not show, and I feel like they just felt like uh, they, they could not show it. They could, like, it felt like they had... Um, they sort of felt like they had to pull back from that. Like, it, it's not pornographic. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not, there's a lot of very explicit penis shots, but it's not that explicit. Like, if you compare it to stuff like um, uh, Antichrist, that's, that's a whole different league of sexuality. And I basically, I wanted to make a film that experiments just with making people uncomfortable. And I just, I don't care if this film entertains. It's actually more of an experiment um, in, okay. uh, in what you can actually pull off on screen. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the main difference between The Law of Sodom and Flesh of the Void. I tried to make The Law of Sodom still sort of entertaining. I'm surprised you pulled punches in that. And you said, let's make it for the audience. And then <laughs> yeah, I Flesh mean, of the Void is fuck the audience. Yeah, it's, de it's definitely like that. Uh, I mean, Flesh of the Void, the thing is, it's a very intense film, but the violence is it's, it's just basically the, the, the taboo stuff is basically happening in the last three minutes. And up to that, it's basically just surrealism. Mm -hmm. And um, with Flash of the Void, and the thing is, I did not try, with Flash of the Void, I did not try to just uh, 
uh, to just um, put one disgusting thing after the other because that's that's really easy to do. Um, I don't I, like I don't want the film to be something like August Underground. Um, I wanted to be I wanted to go a lot deeper than that. Um, I basically it all started. I've mentioned that before uh, online. I I wanted to. It all it all started when I when I saw the when I when the tape uh, from the ring came to my mind, um, and it's funny because the tape from the ring is something that I actually find genuinely unset unsettling, because it's just super weird and you have no idea what's going on, and it it reminded me it also reminded me a bit of deep web videos like the mind control kind of videos that you can find on the deep web which are just super creepy and weird. Um, and they make you, they, they don't like, it's not like you, you they, they're shocking, but they make you feel uncomfortable. Like you're sitting there afterwards thinking like I shouldn't have watched that. And that's something that I wanted to do. So basically I tried not uh, escalating in terms of violence and stuff like that, but um, very, very distinctively f uh, focusing on provoking stuff like very psychologically um, and it's basically just a collection of scenes that consist of primal fears or things that make people feel uncomfortable in general just like there's there's things like losing your child or stuff like that or people getting hit by cars that stuff nobody likes like that stuff nobody enjoys it's I, I've noticed that like when people talk about um, Films. There's always these certain scenes that film that people remember, and um, I basically wanted to make just a collection of scenes like that. Okay. Um, so yeah, and um, I really, I really wanted that. That was very important to me that while shooting the film, that I did not set myself limits. I didn't want to. There, like there were, there were. Uh, um, times when I thought I'm not sure if I should pull this off. I'm not sure if I should do this because people are gonna hate me for it. Um, and I, in the end, I just said I I don't care. I'm gonna make it anyway. Um, that was that was really a big change for me because I mean the love Sodom is still disgusting as hell. But like the pig fetus scene, I mean that's super yeah. extreme. But it's still um, that's explicit. Uh, What's the word for it? Um, it's superficial violence. It's like there's there's no, it's violence that's purely visual, and I wanted to go into a completely different direction with it and just make the violence completely psychological. So there there's actually almost no gore at all in Flesh of the Void. Really? Yeah, it's like three or four scenes with blood in them, and the rest is just weird, and I just wanted. I, want, I basically wanted to disturb through freaking you out in like a weird way, just making you think, what the fuck did I just watch? And um, I, I basically wanna, like uh, a lot of people after watching the trailer, they said, I feel like I shouldn't have watched that. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. Right. Um, I don't like, it's not, it's an experiment. I don't want people to feel comfortable while watching it in any way. Or, like, I don't, I don't care if people hate it because it's so uh, f like freaky. Um, that's exactly what I want to do. And yeah, um, in that way, it was a completely different process from the law of Sodom. And also in terms of actual shooting, 
because the law of Sodom, uh, I mean, it was one of my first shorts ever. Um, and it was basically, I was a one man crew. Um, there, there, were, there weren't a lot of people involved in it, and that was completely different with Flash of the Void. Um, and I mean, the, the one thing that also made a huge difference is that we actually shot on film, okay. uh, which changed, it completely changed me. I mean, Flash and of I the Void. This, right, you shot on old Super 8. Yes. Okay. Um, I shot, I mean, we shot on, we shot on three different mediums. We shot okay. on really old expired Super 8. It's uh, Kodachrome. It's like the first uh, color film that, uh, uh, that they made. Um, and uh, I actually developed that myself. And uh, like the just the just the old film, the we also used modern Super 8 stock and 16 millimeter, and I did not develop that myself. Um, I just developed the old Kodachrome myself because you can't actually get Kodachrome developed anymore. The chemicals don't exist anymore, so I figured out my own way to develop it. Okay. And just experimented with it, and um, I just basically I it started just with me going into the woods and shooting a roll of film in the woods, just shooting random stuff. And then I started experimenting with the development. And I noticed that um, uh, when I, I projected it with a projector, and um, I noticed that it looked really fucking weird. Like it was yellow and super grainy. You could almost mm -hmm. see nothing. And I digitized it and started editing and just basically started grading it and um, I had to invert it because it was it was a negative image and I I had to filter out the, the yellow so it actually so it was actually black and white because once I inverted it it turned blue um, <laughs> it was just a completely blue image with you, you could bet you could barely see anything okay and um, yeah it was almost no contrast it was an image that was completely flat with basically no detail to it and I turn it up uh, like it, I turned everything up to the to the max, and then it started to like uh, produce an image, and that's why it's so super grainy because everything is just turned up one hundred percent. And afterwards, I also accentuated the grain because from um, the uh, the teaser, there's a shot of a factory. Yeah. Was that on the Kodachrome? Yeah. Was that, okay, exactly. Yeah, so the graininess is what made me leap to that image in my mind. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was okay. um, I, that was shot in the industrial part of my hometown. Okay. And I basically just went out and shot random things. That was one of the first roles. That yeah. was actually the uh, the first role. Um, that was the second role I shot, and the first role that actually turned out well. And I'm I I immediately I immediately used those shots because the the industrial shots look really awesome. Shot on old Kodachrome, the second act was shot on modern Super 8, and the last act was shot on 16mm. And that's basically how it visually progressed. What's your uh, pre-production process like? Do you storyboard, do you journal, do you kind of come up with ideas, or do you just like to get out there and mess around? Uh, that was that was a part that of the film that was just all over the place. Um, some of the shots just, uh, I, I, I got my crew together and we just went, like one time we went into an old basement. Um, it's a completely filthy, disgusting place. Like there's mold everywhere and it's, it's disgusting. Yeah. And um, there's actually, there were dead spiders on the ceiling and they were white, they were moldy. I didn't even know spiders, spiders could do that. Um, 
<laughs> and we just went down there and started we just got a lot of props like uh, weird masks and stuff like that and just f started filming simple shots there weren't scenes it was just shots and after that we basic we basically just built up the scenes after that based on this on what we've shot before and I did start writing scenes but there's no actual script to the film okay um, it's basically just a concept because uh, it's it's I mean you could call it a script maybe but I, I don't know it's more of a concept because it's not built like a normal script it's just a collection of scenes and there wasn't a, there wasn't even a shooting schedule we just went out and shot it and that's one of the that's one of the reasons why it actually turned out the way it did because it um, it led to a lot of improvisation and a lot of the scenes uh, became a lot more disturbing just because of that. Um, I really badly want to mention one scene, but I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> Alright, well maybe we'll do it when I turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's actually another film at this festival, La Accelerator by Thomas Eicher, yes. shot on Super 8. I talked to him yesterday. Really? Yeah, he spent about two years just kind of filming a lot of the same thing. Didn't really have a script, just kind of getting this theme together in his yeah. head. And again, he shot on Super 8, he loves it. Oh my god, yeah, I, I saw the trailer, it looks awesome, because I also, I love the fact that they left the sprocket holes, because um, yes. that's something I, I did in Flash of the Void 2 in some scenes, and it just gives it a completely unique look, because nobody ever does that. Right. I mean, I've never personally seen it in any film. Yeah, the whole movie, it's right there. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, soundtrack, when you're working on a movie, what, what kind of goes into your sound design? Um, I mean, we had... Hold on. I think we had yeah we had two different um, we had two different different composers for this film. One of them is actually part of Sodom and Gomorrah Productions. Um, his name is uh, he's German. His name is Stefan Ortlip. Okay. Um, he he basically I don't even remember how exactly we got in touch, but um, I uh, man I really don't know. But um, I basically told him do something like sun um, and you know sun like yeah. uh, it's it's spelled uh, s-u-n-n and then an o <laughs> doesn't matter it's a yeah. super weird band um, okay. it's basically drone stuff like uh, ambient industrial mixed with sound. yeah industrial stuff it's really really freaky okay. it's basically what what you would expect Satanists to listen to um, <laughs> which is which I mean it's I yeah it's I I told him to make so the cool thing is um, somebody actually r uh, commented on the trailer that it looks like uh, that the film looks like a movie equivalent of Sun, okay. uh, which was a huge compliment because it, it was a huge a uh, huge inspiration and I just basically I left him complete freedom because uh, he. He didn't even. See, he did. Uh, there were no scenes he he had seen um, of the film when he actually composed the soundtrack. I just uh, showed him like ten stills, and told him just make make up whatever you want and make it as grotesque and um, atmospheric as possible. And he actually wrote about fifty minutes of music, um, and it consisted of like. Seven or eight tracks, and we really experimented with that in the film. We just started layering the tracks and 
it, it got really crazy and um, there was no real concept to how we did that. I just told him, go nuts. And separately from the movie. Yeah, yeah separately. Okay. And there was another composer involved, um, an, an Italian one. He's called uh, Federico Natelli, I think. I, I can't, it's super hard to remember for me because it's Italian. Um, right. But he's, he's really amazing too. Uh, he basically just hit me up um, and uh, showed me some of his stuff and I immediately told him, do you have to work on, on this film? And um, it's basically a mix between the two composers in the entire film. And the basic theme is just industrial, uh, like there's a lot of very metallic noises. It's basically, it's very, it, it, some of it really hurts your ears. <laughs> and um, I basically wanted, I really wanted to make something that uh, makes the visuals even more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of horror films live off uh, the atmosphere oh, and yeah. also the soundtrack, but it's really hard to actually make the film more disturbing just through the soundtrack. And I really wanted to do that. So a lot of it is basically just uh, insane noise, but not very, it's not loud. It's just also there. Yeah, that's that's one of the m most um, uncomfortable things about the film is just that it's one and a half hours of super low frequency. There's the entire film uh, has a super low frequency running through it and you can just feel it in your guts. That rumble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's actually laid over the entire soundtrack of the film, so it's over the entire film, um, which will probably make it really hard to watch in the theater. But that's exactly what I want. That's I'm, I mean. And you like? Do you like to watch your movies with the crowd? Uh, I actually, I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm really curious about. I loved watching The Law of Sodom with a crowd. Yeah. Um, but that was a whole different film because I know that I'm gonna get a lot of. I know that at some screening of Flash of the Void, somebody's going to shout at the screen. I know that that's going to happen. Uh, and I mean... <laughs> Is this the scene you've been teasing? <laughs> oh, that's, that's quite a few, quite oh. a few scenes. Because there's, like, there's a couple of scenes that, are, that just get progressively louder and louder, and then they just completely stop, and there's like three seconds of complete silence, and it's a perfect moment to shout something at the screen. Okay. <laughs> and that's, I know that people are going to do it. That's the thing, too. It's unnerving. It gets creepy when it gets silent all of a sudden. Yeah. Had that noise. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I wanted to do. It's just... And the thing is, after... Because uh, it also gets... The frequency, the low frequencies, they get stronger and stronger the, the further the scene progressive progresses so it really starts working on your guts and then it just st suddenly stops and it makes yeah. you feel super weird because it's actually almost a physical reaction have you seen this in a theater yet or is this will be your first i time? have seen it in okay. a theater yet yeah but the sound was not too great unfortunately where it was a cast and crew screening and it was okay. basically a private screening for the people who worked on it and a couple of close friends okay. and it was super funny because when the film ended um everybody went outside and it was dead silent Mm -hmm. Nobody said anything, <laughs> and I still, uh, I still actually nobody ever talked about it anymore. Really? Yeah. I mean, I did. I did talk to to my to my close crew, and I know I know how they feel about it because like three of the people I showed the film privately to, mm -hmm. but a lot of them were just really fucking like I, I I still don't know what they think about it. They may they might hate it. They might have loved it. I'm not sure, but I did get a strong reaction out of them, and that's what I wanted. Okay. 
Um, there's a lot of religious uh, works in your, I mean, whether it's blasphemy, or there's a lot of topics that come mm -hmm. back to religion. I was raised Catholic. I mean, this all resonates with me. I mean, were you raised in a religious household? Um, not at all, actually. Really? Not at all. Are you just drawn to it? I'm super drawn to blasphemy. Um, okay. Uh, it's just uh, basically an act of rebellion against stuff that I find upsetting. Because um, the thing is, I think that religion is something that can be used for a great purpose. But it's just the way it's um, it, it's just the way it's used nowadays that just makes me really angry. Um, so I mean, I'm a Satanist. I call myself a Satanist actually, but it's uh, it's not. I don't believe in God or Satan. I'm. It's an atheistic. Sure. I mean, you, do you know about Satanism? Yeah. Just Levian Satanism, basically. It's. Uh, I believe that I'm my own god and I I I lead my own life. Um, and. I, re I just, the thing is, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on with religion. Sure. Um, and I, I mean, it sounds, I know it sounds uh, super dumb, but it's really fun. Uh, it's really easy to provoke religiously. Absolutely. It's the easiest thing yes. in the world. And I, um, I definitely wanted to do that because um, the people who are gonna pe who are gonna be pissed off about the blasphemy in the film are gonna be exactly the kinds of people who should be, um, because I mean, there 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 are gonna be religious people who can watch the film and still not be pissed off because it's still just a film. I mean, I'm a I'm a person you can. Um, like if somebody mocked Satanism and I watched the film, I could still watch it and view it as a film because it's a um, it's it's just a film. But I don't know. It's um there's something about provoking Christianity that just uh, that just really uh, that just really gets me off. <laughs> I mean, it's not the thing is um, I try to use themes about. Christianity and provoke in a way that's not I mean a lot of the stuff is very banal in terms of provocation um, and it's a lot of very common themes like pedophilia and stuff like that but um, I feel like I don't know it's it's strange because my my whole view of religion changed through Flash of the Void because I started really um, getting to know what um, what other religions there are, like what uh, dark religions there are, like Satanism um, or Luciferianism, it's stuff that really interested me. And one of the well, very big reason for me um, why I made Flesh of the Void so religiously themed is the theme of the film itself, which is death. Okay. Um, because basically, it's just I mean, the thought behind the theme of the film is what if um, because Christians, a lot of Christians think that when you die, you basically walk into the light. It's a, a lot of a lot of them uh, think of it as a beautiful experience, and even even non-religious people, a lot a lot of them think of it as peaceful fading. And I thought, um, and I'm not talking about the act of dying itself, like the physical aspect. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about it strictly spiritually. Um, I thought, what if? dying was just the most horrible and disgusting thing that you could 
that you could um, experience. And I thought if dying really is that horrible and disgusting, I imagine it basically as just an experience where all you ever hated and all you were ever afraid of and all you were ever confronted with that made you feel disgusting or uncomfortable just hammers on your senses in just the shortest amount of time. Okay. And then you're just gone and it's darkness. The void. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's like, that's, uh, it's like, I don't believe in that. It's just a concept that I wanted to, to, to explore. And that's what Flash of the Void really is. It's just what I imagine what dying would feel like if it were the most horrible and disgusting thing you could experience. And of course, death is the theme of dying. There's a lot of there's a lot of ways you can explore that in a religious way. So I I wanted I wanted to give people the experience of death being horrible. Uh, in a way that also Christians could experience it, of course. So the there's a spiritual death. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, so there's a lot of satanic symbolism in there. I mean, there's also um, there's actually a lot of subliminal images in there too, just basically all kinds of stuff. And um, I mean, it's still a bit. Um, people are still debating over if subliminal messages actually work or not. But I mean. I, doesn't hurt putting them in um, so and it's cool because uh, I know where they are and I always see them um, but nobody else does it's funny because once you know when they pop up you can actually see them but it's something you just don't notice because you're not really looking for it like the penis in Fight Club remember that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, and yeah basically the the whole religious and satanic theme of the film was just because it's something that Christians uh, that make Christians very uncomfortable and I don't just I mean it's not only for Christians of course I wanted to make it uncomfortable for everybody but in order to make it uncomfortable for everybody I also had to include the theme of religion sure um, so that's basically all there is to it um, which is funny because before Flash of the Void, I never really thought about stuff like that. It's just the film really opened uh, a lot of new thoughts uh, for me. Okay. And what do you see for the future of Flash of the Void? Is this something you just want for film festivals? Or would you see it released in some format, whether Blu-ray or online? Um, I, I, I'm, I definitely want this thing to to be released on Blu-ray. I mean, I, I actually already have a, a distributor for a DVD, but the thing is with DVDs that it's just nowhere near as enjoyable as Blu-ray because it's right. just... I mean, also... I wouldn't mind if the style of the film was different, but the thing is the film, uh, since it was shot on film, you just, I really feel it would, um, it would benefit a lot from actually having it released on Blu-ray because the grain just gets lost on DVD. Yeah. Um, and that, I'm really, I love the grain in that film. Grain is something, is one of the things I love about film. And that's one of the, the reasons why I shot on eight and 16 millimeter. And I don't want that to get lost, but it's probably still gonna, I mean, it's definitely gonna happen. Okay. Um, all they need is uh, subtitles. I ha still have to send them subtitles, but um, after that, uh, like, I think it's, I still don't have a release date, but um, 
I'm still talking to them, but they're definitely going to put it out. It's a it's a European, it's a German, uh, an Austrian label actually, but um, it's people are going to be able to order it from anywhere in the world. But I'm really, I'm planning on basically doing definitely doing as many film festival screenings as I can okay. uh, because it's just a film that is made to be watched in a theater because it's a lot of people who watch films at home don't watch films the way I think films should be watched They're on their phones that's something yeah. that makes me that pisses me off actually like right. people watching films on their phone right. is you it's not you like you haven't fucking seen the film if you've watched it on a phone you can watch YouTube videos on a phone. You can watch like people getting hit in the nuts on your phone and laugh, but that's all you're gonna get from it. Um, Cause uh, yeah. And even, I think even if you're watching it on a super small screen, it's not doing the film justice. It's not doing any film you're on justice. Your laptop in bed. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a person, I just, I, I, I mean, I have an editing studio. It's also where I watch my films. I have. <laughs> I've set I've set up a hundred and twenty eight inch screen just so I can experience that stuff in the way it, it makes you it makes it makes you uh, work differently when you're oh, yeah. like um, since I've been editing my stuff uh, in an actual editing studio I just really noticed that there's stuff you just don't see when you're editing on it on a small screen and I also, since I've been watching all of my films on that screen, I just really realized that it's a completely different experience. Um, so you're actually editing on this huge screen. Yeah, I'm actually okay. editing on it. Uh, yeah, it's a really, it's a small editing studio. It's basically a, a desk and a huge screen in front of it. Right. And um, it really changed a lot of things. Like it completely changed my perspective on, on watching films. Because it's also where I, uh, I just watch films in private. Um, and uh, it's, the first, it's the first screen I watched Flash of the Void on. And I, I also watched Flash of the Void. Just I wanted to know how it feels. I watched a part of Flash of the Void on my computer screen. And I just really realized that it's, not, it's a completely different experience. Yeah. And I still remember, um, I had a friend, I'm not sure which, which film it was. I recommended her a film, and it was a film that I found super disturbing and creepy, and she watched it, and she said it's, she didn't find it creepy or disturbing at all. And then I asked her, all right, why? And, I'm, and then I found out she watched it on her laptop, and I was like, okay, well, that explains everything. Because yeah. it's, I mean, there's a reason there, that there are movie theaters. Yeah, I, and, I mean I've said that before. I like going to the movies because you can vanish into the movie. Yeah, exactly. You're in the dark, there's no exactly, exactly. It's just you're paying a hundred percent attention to what's on the screen, and you're fully yeah. absorbed. If you're at home, yeah, definitely. You get Def text messages. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean that's I, I frequently I, that's something I also see um, in I frequently see that that people posting on Facebook, I'm watching this film right now, and so far it's really good, let's see what happens next. And I'm like, what the fuck, you're not watching the film. Yeah. And I don't know, yeah, so I'm definitely planning on doing as many okay. actual theater screenings as possible. And I was actually thinking even going outside of film festivals and just doing basically private screenings. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, not private in the, in the traditional sense, but um, just basically booking theaters uh for just single screenings yeah because a lot of film festivals are not going to screen this film 
Um, have you been getting rejections for it? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I you say like, oh, not for us. Uh, I mean, the You're thing is, generic. nope, sorry. Uh, it's basically, I most of the rejections I got were just no words at all, and it really showed me what they thought of the film. It was just, I, I really, I mean, the thing is there really are no specific festivals for films like that. I mean, it would probably be an underground film festival that would be most perfect for it. But I feel like that's why I love Nightmares so much because they, they have a huge variety of films. They yeah. don't just... Because a lot of horror film festivals focus on generic horror films that you see everywhere. Um, and basically stuff that could be considered mainstream. The more mainstream, the better. Uh, the more it looks like Hollywood, the better. That's just, and I, I don't, I don't like that. That's why, I mean, something like, um, that's why I can't wait to see like something like uh, Accelerator. Yeah. That stuff, I absolutely, I, I want more of that at film festivals. And I'm going to post a preview, but when the director, when I talk to him, he's not releasing it ever. Really? He just wants it film festivals only. So I'm going to warn oh. people, this is your only chance to oh see my God. Accelerator. Yeah, I'm definitely going to see that. If you don't see it, that might be your only chance. Oh I mean, my. He's never going to release it. That's what he says now. Oh, my God. But he was doing it in a weird way. He released the soundtrack first because he thought it was funny to have a soundtrack out two years ahead of time to a movie that doesn't exist. And he did art galleries for it. He did everything ahead of time. I love that concept. It's like a, an experimental way of putting a film out. <laughs> it is. It's great. So I'm going to recommend oh, I can't wait to. I can't wait to watch that film. It's screening at 2 a.m., right? Yep. I love that. Your old time slot, because last year you screened at 2 a.m. Yeah. I had to slam Red Bull and 5-Hour Energy. Oh, me too. Either. Me too. <laughs> uh, it was... <laughs> yeah, and I, I watched um, I watched the film after, too. What, uh, what was it called? Um, it was Kirby Light's film. Um, the name i was trying to think of the other day uh, it was it was fucking creepy as hell did you see it yeah i stayed oh my god i loved it um yeah. and i'm so glad i stayed because it was it was watching that film so late at night just it was a uh, was an experience and your brain is fried because yeah watch movies all day that's it that's yeah that's what they call it they call it the late night mind fuck yeah <laughs> yeah definitely yeah Yeah, definitely. Or, okay, I didn't know if that was a secret. Or no, no, we can definitely talk about that. Okay, so you're filming in Columbus. I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too, me too, definitely. I've always, uh, like, um, last year I met Adam, Adam Rogers, um, right. at, at Nightmares, and I saw Cannabillies, and we stayed in touch forever afterwards. He actually, he's the... I owe him so much. He's the person who launched, who basically launched Sodom and Chimera Productions. He's the one who designed the website and who got social media going and everything. He basically he managed the entire thing. And um, uh, uh, we've been planning on shooting a film together in Columbus forever, basically since the second last, the last nightmares ended. Um, and initially it was a um, 
initially we were planning on shooting a feature film that we're still going to shoot um, and it's nobody's going to expect that film I can only say that because it's actually it's a horror comedy anthology but yeah, not I didn't, see, I didn't see that coming not in any way not in any way you could imagine it's like uh, the tagline we already have a tagline it's uh, the feel bad comedy of the year because it's going to be a comedy anthology that's playing in real time and almost in real time uh, and it's going to to be in black and white, it's going to look super artful, but it's just going to be madness and super depressing, even though it's hilarious. Okay. Like it, the the ending will. We're actually planning on handing out fake razor blades at the at the screening, so people can end themselves if they can't take it anymore. Uh, marketing. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, yeah, um, and just this is basically we never got to do that. The script is almost finished, actually, but. Um, it's a it's a film that would need a huge budget, and um, we're planning on getting a lot of well-known people uh, on the film because um, uh, I have a lot of I have a lot of people who still want to work with me, and I just basically want to combine all of those big names that wanted that hit me up over the time in that one film. Okay. And I can't see who the people are, but there are some. Like we actually have a horror icon from one of George Romero's films. Wow. Um, yeah. And this um, is an anthology. How many pieces do you think it'll be in? Um, you know? That's the th that's the cool thing about it because, um, I mean, the thing is, it's not really an anthology because it's all uh, it's not it's it's one universe like it's one it's it's all it's all playing in one city actually, um, and. It's just, it's not, I mean, it is different stories, but it's not like a usual anthology where the one story ends and then the next one starts. Right. It's basically just shifting from one character to the next seamlessly. Like, uh, one scene ends with the one character, the next character is introduced and it continues with the other character. And it just goes from one character to the next until it ends in complete madness. Okay, with different directors taking each segment. No, it's actually all going to be us. Oh, it's all yeah, okay. definitely. Uh, it's just really it's um, because it's it's one film. Mm -hmm. That I mean, it's a bit weird calling it an anthology because it's not a real anthology. It's basically a normal feature film, but just with different stories. The okay. funny thing is the my uh, the the thought behind it was, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know that just when you're. I always had these these little weird uh like sometimes I, I i i'm in situations where i start um where i continue a situation in my head in a way that's just super absurd mm -hmm. and um it's basically just playing with your thoughts like i'm sitting there looking at something happening in front of me and i'm just imagining the most ridiculous thing that could ever happen in that moment and i wanted to make a film based on scenes like that so it's completely grotesque um, while being super creepy and disturbing and funny yes that's the thing but it's like it's not a normal comedy it's um it's yeah. not like humor like it's the darkest kind of humor you could ever like it's um so what's what's the, the darkest crowd like the film festival crowd uh, yeah, we definitely. I think that's actually one of the the cool thing about that film is is that it's 
really easily marketable and a lot of film festivals could potentially play that because yeah. it's not extreme in in a violent kind of way there's almost no violence at all in the film uh it it is horror and there are violent scenes but not like stuff that you would see in a hollywood film too like just your usual gore um and all we want we wanted to base the scenes just on getting just on breaking taboo simply through dialogue and um basically weird scenes just making it um making the situ it's it's all situation based it's all the situations themselves are what what what's so sick about it so it's just things happening that are completely ridiculously sick without actually showing something disgusting okay yeah and i'm really stoked about that i mean uh, hopefully we can get that uh we can start shooting next year. Uh, I'm actually going going to start pre-production on that film as soon as we're done with Sulfur for Leviathan. And hopefully we can, I mean, the, the only thing I'm worried about is funding, because yeah. we're gonna need a pretty big budget. But um, yeah, I mean, since in the worst case, we're just gonna do crowdfunding, because, uh, we can always just shoot a scene that's cheap to shoot. Um, preview it. Preview it and make people actually see what they're getting into, um, which is basically the same thing we're gonna do with Sulfur for Leviathan once we're gonna make it into a feature film. And also, yeah, we're gonna shoot that film on Super 16 again, because it just looks awesome. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually planning on never shooting digitally again. Okay. No matter if 16, 35, or 70 millimeter. I'm actually planning on shooting a short on 70 millimeter, wow. um, which is insane. And um, funny thing is, it's not that more expensive than 35 millimeter, which is really surprising. I never would have guessed that. Um, what about the cameras? That's the thing. The cameras, you can like the cameras are what what are really not that more expensive. Really? They're they, they're huge as hell. Um, Right. Like I, re I even I even found a seventy millimeter camera on eBay for I think I don't know ten thousand bucks, which is like I mean that's a fifth of the price of an Alexa. Right. That's I don't know it's yeah. Um, I mean, seventy millimeter is of course more expensive, but uh, I was surprised because it's not, it's not unaffordable. Uh, like if you if you get a decent budget, you can. I mean, we we'd probably have to reduce our actors and just get like. I don't think I've ever heard indie and seventy millimeter. That's before. the thing. I want to do that. I want to completely break that. Um, I want to just nobody ever, no wow. indie filmmaker ever shot on seventy Not millimeter. Not I'm aware of. I've never even thought about putting those together. Yeah. yeah, I mean, most don't even shoot on thirty-five. Right. Um, Sixteen is something everybody can afford. That's why I'm a bit sad that nobody that soul a few people actually shoot on 16 millimeter because I see so many I see so many people shooting on super expensive digital cameras like the Alexa or the red cameras and a lot of those films would actually because I mean 16 millimeter if you use it right it it has an amazing quality uh, I mean mother was shot on 16 millimeter millimeter no matter if people if you like it or not it looked fantastic visually yeah. uh, even and a real texture to it yeah that's the thing and you can make it look super cinematic even though it has a bit of a bit more grain 
Um, and that's why I'm a bit disappointed that so many people just shoot digitally because it's more convenient. Because if you're shooting with an Alexa, it's not uh, like it's not less expensive. Uh, actually, if I were to shoot on an Alexa, I would probably spend like at least three times the amount of money I would spend. We're shooting Sulfur for Leviathan again on 16 millimeter and Super 8 too, but just a couple of scenes. And it would be a hell of a ton more money if we were to shoot on an Alexa. And I don't, I don't understand how so many uh, like super short films can actually afford to shoot on that. I don't, can you, I mean, they might be renting the equipment. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. thing. It still it's costs still a fuck ton of money. And 16 millimeter is really affordable. The thing is just, I think the, the problem that, um, modern, that modern indie filmmakers have is that they just shoot too much. And that's something that I really love about shooting with film because it makes you a lot more focused. You right. really have to know what you're shooting. You, don't, you can't make any mistakes. Um, and like when we're shooting, we're doing a maximum of three takes. And we just rehearse the scenes forever. And um, that's a way of shooting that just gets you a lot more focused. And I feel like a lot of the scenes I've shot on 16 millimeter, like the Implore music video, a lot of the scenes uh, just turned out uh, that great because we really focused on just pulling off the perfect take. Uh, like we, tr we basically tried to pull off the best take and the first take, um, because I think that's what you should. I, I think that's what you should work with. The problem with modern filmmakers is, and the problem with digital filmmaking is that you can ju just shoot one scene thirty times and then just pick out the best uh, take. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think Werner Herzog said that um, we're filmmakers, not garbage collectors. And sounds like him. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. I mean, that it's the same with photography for me. You can, if you if you make thirty, uh, if you if you shoot if you shoot a mode of thirty times, there's gonna be a good one. There's gonna be a good photo in there. And it's just I feel like it's the same thing with with shooting four K and then zooming in to correct the shot. It's you you get lazy. That's why I I mean a lot of people because I don't see any reason personally to um actually shoot in 4k other than because it looks good in full hd2 and normal full hd but um the thing is if you're if you're gonna watch it i mean i don't know i just i actually really have a problem with how filmmakers work with digital film um it's just really the, th the main the main thing that annoys me is that people really start to get lazy and a lot of I, I noticed that myself when I shot uh, Trinity of Decay digitally because uh, at one point we shot like I don't know 10 or 15 takes of one scene which is still not that much for a lot of filmmakers yeah and um, I really noticed that it just started to completely like it there was a lot of feeling that got lost, like the entire atmosphere just it started to become routine. And I don't want to I don't want acting to become routine. I want the actors to be as emotional as possible in 
in what they're doing and the more like uh, if you do if you do a scene 30 times you're just going to lose your uh, your the intense emotion that was there uh, when you when you started doing it because I don't know I mean it may be different if it's a scene where you torture your actor like I mean Stanley Kubrick probably was really good at doing he, that because he broke Shelley Duvall yeah that's the, the thing same, that's probably I mean he did like I don't know what what was it the one scene where he Hundreds of takes. yeah and I mean with him the thing is he tortured his actors to a point where it actually turned out better because he did so many takes but that's not the case with modern filmmakers so I mean I I think I'm complaining too much. Um I just I'm 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 going to do I'm going to shoot I'm going to shoot as much film as possible because it just it taught me a lot. Um it really changed the way I shoot films and I direct. I mean I also I also I'm also always the cinematographer on my on my okay. on my films so I I shoot the stuff myself um and it really it also changed it also changed my my whole view on cinematography because you just you really have to the thing is you have to get everything in shot i i always try to do that i actually i never ever corrected anything in post uh if like a lot of as mentioned a lot of people do that they shoot 4k just so they can zoom in and correct something if the shot was not right and i mean i i don't see why you wouldn't just work on getting the shot right in the first place and that's something that really uh that was i mean the first time shooting with 16 shooting on 16 millimeter was absolute hell because if you're not used to it it's a bit weird it's just i mean yeah you i ended up doing still doing way too many takes and it i don't know but yeah it's just the thing is also that um just i really prefer it visually cuz uh analog film just reacts a lot differently to light than digital film yeah. does. Digital just looks so cold. For the most it part. looks cold. Yeah, it looks cold and for me way too clean. I mean a, the a lot of the thing is I instantly notice when Hollywood f films are shot digitally. Uh, I actually see no reason at all why a Hollywood film would shoot something digitally cuz the film costs are the least of their problems when you have like when you have a 30 million dollar budget, you can't afford you fuck you can't do 100 takes and uh, on film and it doesn't fucking matter um and i always really hate that when when i when i go when i go to the theater and i instantly see like that's that's it, it has this cold dead look to me that's just flat and that's actually what a lot of films try to do they try to look flat like i see a lot of horror modern horror films trying to do that just look as gray and flat as possible and you can't i mean you can still use a flat image to 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 make some atmosphere but i i don't know i just it looks unnatural to me because i really like the organic feel that analog has also it's like in terms of dynamic range it's really noticeable because oh, yeah. a lot of i know i frequently know this notice that that just digital films always have some scene that has completely blown out whites and it's I don't know. Well, not many big names still work. There's Chris Nolan. Mm, yeah. He shoots on film. The new Star Wars. Yeah, Tarantino always Tarantino shoots, on, shoots film. on film. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, Tarantino is insane. I think he just, he just, he's just shooting 70 millimeters all the time, 70 millimeter all the time. It's, it's insane. Yeah, I wish I had the, I had a budget like that. I mean, just to, he's like, he can do whatever he wants. I, I know. But the thing is, I think even if I, even if I had a huge budget, I would still, in most cases, prefer 16 millimeter over the larger formats just because the films I do are very, they're supposed to look a bit raw and grainy. And the thing is, you can also see film scratches a lot, like scratches on the actual negative. You can see it a lot more on 16 millimeter because I mean, it's a, it's a smaller, the negative is smaller. And of course, if you project it to the same size, the scratches are gonna look bigger. And I love, I love natural film scratches okay. because it just, that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy watching old films, because it just, uh, I don't know, I, there's something about that um, slight filth that just gives it a, so much soul. Uh, like, that's, that's, for me, that's the reason why Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, I mean, that's the first thing when you say horror film. Yeah, Texas that's the Chainsaw thing. Pops up in my oh my god, I mean, that, that film would not have worked digitally. It it would have been a, still a good film, but it would have been completely different experience. And it's yeah, I don't know. It's the same thing for old. That's that's one of the weird things I, I noticed that the films I find visually most appealing are the oldest ones you can actually find, like the uh, the original Nosferatu from like it's ninety twenty two. Yep. And it looks or fucking no. yeah, yeah. It looks fucking amazing. It's just it's uh, there's a sort of painting like quality to the to the images that completely blows me away and that's actually something i have not seen anywhere since like 1950 and i think it's probably it's just i wish i could shoot on a camera from the 20s but yeah it's not yeah i mean it's <laughs> gonna rob a museum yeah it's i mean the the whole i can't even imagine how people were actually able to pull off a film back then because I mean you had to actually manually cut the negatives and stuff like that. I still work digitally in post production. I would probably go insane if I would have to actually splicing. cut it. Yeah, yeah, then adding the oh my god, yeah. Now with your next one, uh, Sulfur for Leviathan. Sulfur for Leviathan, yeah. Um, what did you do for location scouting? Are you arriving here and you already have your location set? Uh, Adam actually did. I'm I'm directing the film with Adam. Um, that's Adam Rogers. Adam Rogers, Adam Rogers yeah, from, from Cannibalies and Necro Girls. Uh, as said, we've been wanting to, to collaborate on a film since the last Nightmares, and this is our chance, basically, um, because, I mean, I was going to come anyway for, for Nightmares. I would have even come if Flash of the Void uh, wasn't going to screen, because I just... Like it's the one thing I'm looking forward to most from the entire year. Um, I had the best time of my life yes, last year. Yeah, no, it was a great time. Last <laughs> um, year. And yeah, basically, he did all the locations. Uh, he picked out all the locations because I really don't know anything here, mm -hmm. and um, I still actually don't know what most of it looks like. I just really trust him on this. Uh, we're gonna shoot a lot of it at uh, a haunted house at the haunted hoochie. Haunted hoochie. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're gonna shoot some of the film there. Like, um, there's a there's a satanic church there, 
and it's like an altar with an with a pentagram and goat heads and we're going to use that <laughs> um and yeah so for, for leviathan is probably the most religiously themed film I, I i have done so far and probably will ever do because i mean it's basically the story of a rebellious nun Okay. And it's very biblical. It's there's a there are a lot of char uh, biblical characters in the film. Like there's Lucifer, Satan. There's um, Leviathan as a character. Uh, I mean, Leviathan is a character is a is a figure that is not used. I have personally haven't really seen the the religious Leviathan. I mean, people know Leviathan as the like the sea creature thing. Like I don't even know about that. I just know it like. Um, because I mean, the there are f the four crown princes of hell in Satanism. It's um, Leviathan, Belial, and Satan and Lucifer. Um, and I wanted to incorporate those themes. And it's basically the story of a nun who one day finds, like, one day um, starts thinking about that maybe. She should have not lived in complete abstinence and enjoyed her life a little more, which is all um, sparked through a really horrible event okay. that is only only very briefly mentioned in the film, and it's only implied to be. It's not. That's not. I don't. I didn't want to uh, put the focus on what happened to her. Um, there's only one small scene, which is the most explicit. It's not explicit, but it's the most extreme scene from the film it's the one scene that just in a one second shot shows what happened to her okay. um, and basically she she lived her entire life uh, according to the Bible and according to God and um, she just lived in t complete abstinence as a, a lot of very intense Christians do because abstinence for some reason is something that is very present in a lot of religions, basically in all religions for some reason. Like there's always the theme of being abstinent in some way that Deny seems... yourself and yeah. Yeah, or just basically, yeah, basically denying natural things like pleasure. I mean... It's something that is really bizarre to me because, I mean, if it makes me feel good and nobody gets hurt, why would I not do it? Just, yeah, purity. Um, <laughs> um, but she basically realizes that she may have lived her entire life not at all the way she should have in her, in her personal view. Um, which is a pretty shitty thing. Like when you're when you're an old nun and you suddenly realize, well, maybe that was all for shit. That's that's a pretty depressing thing to happen. Um, yeah. And it basically it's a it's a collection of scenes with her. Um, it's all very metaphorical and very. There are a lot of allegories. Um, I'm just gonna mention that one scene so you can get an idea for it. Like there's a scene where she's standing next to like on a lakeside and um, she she starts she starts fantasizing about something that she should not be thinking about and she starts crying and then there's a person. Um, I always uh, we are we're also working with a lot of um, 
depersonal with lot lots of depersonalization on this film. So there's a lot of people with bags over their heads or basically uh, covered faces because okay. that's something that I I always do that in films in my films because it completely takes the person's personality and you can actually give them new personalities by putting something on the on their faces like um, the, the the person there's a person appearing while she's standing on the lakeside crying and he has just a white cloth over his face with a cross on it and it's just a symbol for religion and he tries to kind of catch her with a noose and it's just a really repetitive scene where she cries and he, he always swings out and lets the and basically tries to fish her in with the noose and um, it's all very I tried to make it basically the 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 so you can get a picture of that the um, a lot of inspiration was taken from Andrei Tarkovsky's films like The Mirror okay. um, or old sur surreal basically classic surrealism like um, uh, Louis Buñuel um, like what's the film called the golden age or something like that you know that one i don't <laughs> uh, it's <laughs> super weird uh it's really it's classic like it's basically i tried to i tried to make it feel as old as possible i wanted it's it's very uh, it's very much focused on cinematography so it's we're trying to make it as visually impressive as possible basically that's one of the most um impressive things for me about it and it's going to be hard to pull that off is that the entire film consists of either extreme wide shots or extreme close-ups there's nothing in between no middle. yeah okay there's just a couple of shots with like m middle shots but most of it is either ex most of it's either extreme wide shots like really extremely wide shots or close-ups where you can basically just see the fingertips like it really extreme close-ups which is also a thing that i really love because uh, I've never shot close-ups that extreme on 16 millimeter um, and if you close-ups that extreme will have very shallow depth of field and the grain the grain is gonna pop out a lot and I'm really looking forward to that so we're we're gonna we're trying to make it look as visually unique as possible and very uh, Tarkovskian okay. um, because he has a very unique way of cinematography yeah. it's very calm and um, focused and uh, we're basically I'm basically trying to make a film that feels like the mirror if it if it was directed by a Satanist <laughs> and the thing is it's not at all um, in any way I mean it the ending is very you could say like a lot of a lot of religious people will call the ending sick, but in, it's basically just the whole film is just an, an an allegory for breaking free from things that lead to that do not lead to your happiness. Like things that um, things that just keep you from 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 enjoying things as much as you can because I mean my I, I've, I've lived through some pretty rough shit and at one point I just realized that it does not make any sense to always dwell in your in your in your pain so I just I actually managed to pull myself out of it and now that I actually realize um, that you can make the most of your life 
I realized that a lot of religious people just really, uh, uh, they just, they do the exact opposite. Like, uh, and they're not, um, a lot of those people consider this, themselves happy, but they're still holding back on so much um, that could lead to, to like happiness. And that's, for me, that's the basic principle of, of Satanism, just basically, um, making the most of what you have and not ignoring your natural instincts and not ignoring your natural pleasures um and it's it's yeah i said it's a really um it has a lot of of it's a very multi-layered film like there's a lot of different things that you can pick up from the film but um it was very important to me to show that you can break free from something that that's been capturing you even if you've lived it for your entire life it's basically just an act of rebellion and you can interpret it in any way you want you could like a teenager who's who's being dominated by their parents could even in interpret it in a way that benefits them right. just breaking free of things that hold you down and even though it's extreme, it's an extremely dark film with a lot of very dark scenes, and it's also it's all it's also a, a really sad and depressing film. But um, it's still, in a way that uh, that's supposed to make you think about um, about good things. It, it's really hard to describe. It's depressing in a way that makes you want to do something good for yourself. <laughs> it's, it's almost motivational. Yeah, it's almost motivational. It's a reason to break free. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're probably... Most people are going to sit there after the film and... Uh, it's a downer. <laughs> like, it's not a feel-good film, but it's supposed to... It's just supposed, supposed to be thoughtful. But yeah, thoughtful is a good word. Like, maybe motivational. It's still supposed to be motivational, but it sounds too happy. <laughs> Yeah. It's basically just to make, it's supposed to make you think about stuff you may not have think uh, thought about before, and just I was I still try to basically wrap that up in my own style and still include my classic surrealism stuff because I I can't make a film without doing something weird I don't I just I can't do that yeah. we don't want you to. <laughs> So Hanabuchi is really busy this time of year. When are you guys actually going to film in there? Uh, Monday and uh, Tuesday okay, evening. Week, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's also a lot of scenes where we're just going to shoot on really wide open spaces like fields or okay. uh, basically just... I'm not even sure where we're going to shoot that. I just know that the places exist and <laughs> they're just going to drive me there and I'm going to do my, my, my job. Huh? <laughs> But it's still super exciting because I have no idea what the sets look like. Because he's been super busy, so I didn't even get photos of, of all the stuff. I know what yeah. the satanic church looks like, and I right. told him I want to shoot there. But besides that, I mean, the thing is a lot of the, as I said, a lot of the, the scenes are going to take place on fields or stuff like that. And there's not a lot of ways a field can actually, That's like, true. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a field. <laughs> right. But I'm still, yeah, I'm still excited because we're actually, I, I, um, I made the script like three pages shorter than the, than the actual, than we're, like, oh, how, how am I going to say that? Um, like we're planning on making the film about 12 to 13 minutes. Law of Sodom was 
22. 22, yeah, it's, it's way too long for film festivals. That's why, I mean, like, this, that's one of the reasons why it got rejected so much is because a 22-minute film is just impossible to... Program. Yeah, it's just, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm happy it actually screened as much as it did. But I'm never going. I'm never going to shoot a, a short film that long again because it just doesn't make any sense unless you're just basically uh, releasing it right after shooting it and just basically I don't know yeah. selling it. But um, I wanted to to. I'm going to try to make Sulfur for Leviathan as short as possible. I mean, I don't think we can make it under 11 to 12 minutes, but that's still very much possible. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, and um, we left a lot of things open. Like there's a scene in, that's not in the script that we're still gonna shoot because we're gonna improvise. And the one thing is um, I, got, I got two extra rolls of film that we're just gonna, we're just having on set in case we're gonna do improvisational stuff because there's a lot of different sets at the Hoochie and right. it's very well possible that we're just gonna that I'm just gonna look at something and get an idea and we're just gonna shoot it um, like today I actually uh, I did some location scouting just with a with a with a with a friend um, of Adam um, and we he showed me a place that we're definitely going to shoot at and I actually I just ordered uh, two more rolls of film today because <laughs> we I was like man I what if what if there's what if there's more stuff to be shot than than I actually had in mind like even with the improvisational stuff I mean I if the, I I still don't want to go over fi, uh, over 15 minutes even if I have to take something good out I don't want it to be too long um, but yeah, uh, I have no idea what the sets are gonna look like, <laughs> but I know that the hoochie is visually very impressive, so it's gonna it's gonna be. I think that's especially if you're shooting something satanic or like uh, religiously themed and filthy. That the hoochie is just absolutely perfect from what I've seen. Yeah, least. I never thought about it. It's almost like a soundstage. You know, everything's already built. Yeah, that's the thing. Everything's yeah. already built. We have to get nothing there. Like we don't have to build anything. That's that's the best thing about it. I mean the 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 the, the altar they have there, like the 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 altar with the pentagram, the satanic church. You can't build stuff like that for an indie film. That's yeah. a set that would cost you a shit ton of money if you were to build it. Yeah. So I'm really happy we can actually shoot there. 